The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Well, this afternoon, I want, to, I want us to discuss the topic of assimilation, of taking somebody who is a guest that comes onto your church campus and moving them into an active, involved member of your congregation, or to use a sports analogy, uh, as this, the title of this session is, is taking someone from the sidelines and into the game. And the first thing I want, I want you to know right out of the gate is assimilation, this idea of moving people, um, it's critical that you and your leadership have a conviction about this. That this isn't just something that we have on the side, but this is a conviction that we hold as a church, that it is critical that we move people into the body of a church. And I I submit to you that it's important for, it could be a, a myriad of reasons, but two specifically, is your assimilation should be supporting your discipleship. Hey, so if, if, you're, if, if your goal is to disciple people, then you should want, and your church is making disciples, then you should want to assimilate people, right? You should want them involved in the life of your church. Am I in trouble? Is that why you're coming in? Okay, just making sure. Um, number two, um, secondly, is you want to close the back door. I mean, you've heard the back door of your church. You have people come in, they don't stick. Part of closing the back door is making sure that you're, that the people that are coming in are assimilated uh, into your body. And I want to read you a passage of Scripture that has really become, really become a heartbeat of mine uh, in, in, in the course of my ministry, and especially since I've been at, at Beach Road where I serve now. Listen, what, can you all hear me okay? Can you all hear me in the back? All right. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. It says, Him we proclaim. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus we proclaim. Warning warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Part of the reason I love assimilation and seeing people grow is because of this. I want to see them be presented mature. I want them... Uh, to grow in their walk with the Lord, to practice the disciplines, to be serving within the context of body. All these things we'll be talking about. In verse 29, he says, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. To assimilate means to our friend Noah Webster, defines it like this, to assimilate means to absorb. It means to absorb into the cultural tradition of a population or a group. And so businesses, government agencies, schools, they all have practices. They all have language uh, that they use. Uh, when, I, when I was in seminary, I worked at Chick-fil-A. Anybody Chick-fil-A fans in here? Jesus, Chick- So, I hear you. I hear you. I've eaten there twice. So the closest Chick-fil-A to where I live is 45 minutes. So I ate there yesterday, I ate there today, and I hope to eat there the next three days while, I, while I've got one cloak. Um, when I was working at Chick-fil-A, every time you say thank you, what do they respond with? They respond with my pleasure. 
Right? When you are assimilated, when you are absorbed into the Chick-fil-A employee family, part of what they want you to do, they want you to communicate a certain way, especially when it comes to someone saying thank you. So that's part of the... The same is true in the life of a church. There are certain practices, language, traditions that we use that we have to be careful not to take for granted. So let me give you an example. I met with a lady a couple... So uh, we went through, back in July, I was preaching at our church about uh, this Who's Your One campaign that you've seen across the convention. I was really challenging our people to reach out to the lost. And uh, I asked them, I said, at the beginning of, uh, excuse me, at um, August 20, what would that have been, the third week in August, 20th, I said, I want you to invite, this is the Sunday I want you to invite your one, because we're going to start a new series of messages in the book of Ruth. I really went, I I was uh, going through a series about this idea of when God seems absent. And a, a couple from our church invited a lady named Deb. First time Deb had had ever been in a Protestant church. She she was raised Roman Catholic. Deb and I met a couple weeks ago, and she said, So, Pastor James, I've been coming to your church for, for, coming to Beach Road for a little while, and I don't know what this thing you guys do at the end of service is. Like, everybody, you've preached your sermon, you have everybody stand, you step down off the platform, and then you stand there. And then every so often, some people come forward and say, what is that? I said, well, that's an invitation. And so I had to talk her through uh, what an invitation is. And that's one thing I want you, that I would encourage you to do in your churches is to step back, think about the things that you take for granted like this, an invitation, and how are you going to communicate that? So what I want to give you today is, I've been to enough conferences, you go, you hear a bunch of stuff, you get... Go, I want to give you principles today that you can apply in your church. Um, And so I I want to give you three of them. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to unpack each of them. I'm not not an expert in this area. I'll tell you right out of the gate. I have a lot to learn. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to share with you what's worked in in the ministry context that I serve in. And so here's the first thing that um, that I want to challenge you to do. And it is define define what you mean by assimilation. Define what you mean by assimilation. Number two, create avenues or constructs or systems for people to be assimilated. And then number three, assess how you're doing. <laughs> so number one, defi- how do you know if someone in your church context is assimilated or not? So you've had a guest come through the door. They may have gone through some... When, at what point would you say that they are fully assimilated? Okay, this is what I mean by this, and I'll talk you through this in just a minute. Number two, create avenues for people to be assimilated. And number three, then assess it. Okay, so here's what I want to give you out of this. So I'm going to give you the five that I use. Okay, now you could add more to this. You could take away from this list. 
But I'm going to tell you what, what we practice at Beach Road. I consider somebody assimilated if these five things have been completed. Okay? So here they are. Number one. I believe I, we, we hold the conviction at, at Beach Road that membership should matter. That membership is, is important. And so we define that someone is assimilated when they have taken the step to actually join the church body. Okay? That is one part of their assimilation. Okay? Um, part of the reason we hold to the value of church membership is, is in Matthew 18, <coughs> this idea of church discipline. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, for the pastors in the room that you are to keep over, watch over your flock, that people are to obey their leaders. How do you know who to practice discipline on if, if you don't have church membership? Um, so, number one is become a church member. Number two, number two is they're somewhat familiar with the language and practices of the church. The context where I serve, we have a lot of people move from the north. And so we have a lot of people who, when they join Beach Road, it's the first Southern Baptist church they've ever been a part of. So when we use terms like Lottie Moon, cooperative program, those things that I would take for granted, we have people, when I, they'll look at me like I've got three heads. Or we get questions like this when people go through our introductory class. So, Pastor James, when, when does the denomination move you guys around? Like, how much long are you going to be here before you get moved? Because they've come from a tradition where they don't, they're, 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 uh, their pastor, their leader, doesn't have a lot of say in it. Okay? So it is important for us that it's on some level, we, what language do we use at the church? So our small groups, we call them connect groups. Likewise, we have a lot of people who have never been part of a Bible study before. So we feel like it's critically important that for somebody to be assimilated, if they're going to do the things we ask them to do, we have to communicate some of the language that we use. Okay? Number three, they join a connect group. Or in your context, it may be Sunday school class, small group, whatever you call them. Uh, people want to be in community. They, they want to be known. They want to be cared for and loved. And I have found that the people that I have not been, that we as a church have not gotten in a connect group, they do not stick. I, I still find that today with some of the people that have. Uh, so the church I'm in, we've been displaced for 14 months from Hurricane Florence. So we've been out of our building doing mobile church for the last, uh, for over a year now. Praise the Lord, hopefully we're getting back in a week and a half. That's the date that's not supposed to move again. Um, but some of the people who have, who, have, who have gone away during that period, every one of them, they didn't st- we, for whatever reason, we could not get them in a connect group. Um, number three, excuse me, number four, they are serving in a ministry. 1 Peter 4.10, all of the verses on uh, spiritual gifts. We do not consider someone assimilating unless until they are actively involved in one of our ministry teams 
at the church, whether that be on the parking team, whether that be in, um, on our first impressions team. Uh, but they've got to be serving. And the number five, number five, they are talking about relationships. So this is on two levels. I hear other people using their name, and I hear them using other people in the church's names. This lets me know that their relational web within the church community is expanding. This should happen on some level because they're already part of these. But hopefully, I hear them talking about people that are not in these environments. It lets me know that they have, they have been assimilated into the body well. Right? These are the five, so these are the five that I use. Um, the first four are easily measurable. I, we, I can measure these pretty easily. The fifth one is the one that's hard to measure. And the only way you find that out is by talking to people within the church. Right? And you hear that over time. You hear their name coming up. So now, let's talk about creating avenues for these. So because this is what I use, I'm going to talk about the, the constructs, the avenues, the systems, if you will, that foster this for us at Beach Road. Right? So here's the, here's, let's talk about the first one. Well, two things I want to say about number two, really quick. Be cautious about assuming that people will be assimilated on their own. Put it on the church leadership and you to help make sure people are assimilated. Now, I, you can't make people do these things. But what you can do is make it easier for these things to happen. And so what I would tell you to do is put the onus on you. It is my job to help move people in this area as best as I can. The second thing I would tell you is You can't do all of this on your own as a church leader. One person cannot do all of this. So this speaks to the importance of developing leaders within your church. So you may not have read this, and I don't, we don't have time to go through all of it, but I do want to recommend, has anybody heard of Design to Lead? Have you read it? Did you like it? Okay, I would encourage you, everyone in here, I'd encourage you to go get this book from here. It's called Design to Lead. It's by uh, uh, Geiger and Peck. And one of the things they specifically talk about is leadership development within the context of the church. Part of assimilating people well is that it, 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 the onus doesn't fall on one person in the church. That these avenues, that these constructs that you create, you're having other people help you do them. Okay? Come on in this seat here. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so let's let me talk about the avenues that we've created at Beach Road for some of these. We want people to become a member. We require part of our process is that you go through what we call our Discovering Beach Road class. We want people, and we have designed a four week class. And we tell people, if you want to become a member, you need to go through this. So somebody may come forward on a Sunday that's not familiar with the church, right? They may have come from another, in this case, 
they may have come from another Southern Baptist church, come forward and they say, Pastor James or one of the other pastors, we, we want to join the church. What we tell them is, your next step is discovering betrothed. That's what we call ours. <clears throat> your next step is discovering betrothed. You need to go through this class and then we will, then we will finalize your membership. Why is that important for us? We don't want them to join until we've had an opportunity for them to be familiar with what we want them to do. And so we won't, we won't finish the membership process until they go through that class. This four-week class, I help lead it, but I don't do all the administration behind it. We got some volunteers. We got a couple in our church, and they help do a lot of the legwork behind it getting the materials printed, putting the books together, taking attendance, all of those things. This is where I go back to leadership development. But the avenue we've created is we've created... Do you, who has a membership class or some type of... Okay, this, I would say, is the most, the most important. This needs to come first. Because this gives you an opportunity to communicate what you want from the people that are coming in. You get to tell them what assimilation looks like. Right? So this is the construct we have um, is our four-week class. All right, number two, what have we created with our language? The first place we do this is, um, is through our Discovering Betrothed class. So we, in, our, in Discovering Betrothed, we talk about connect groups. I go through what cooperative program is. We talk about offering. We talk about how the entire church is structured. So on some level, they are familiar with the practices of the church. But it can't stop here. It, this has to be leaked with your group leaders. and it, So for the pastors in the room, it has to come from the pulpit. You have to be... This is where language in a church is critically important that you use the same language over and over and over. If you call, For us, if we call them connect groups, it's important that we reinforce connect group over and over and over. If we call it small group somewhere else, we're going to confuse people. Um, we, actually changed our, we actually changed our name not too long ago from Bible Fellowship Group to Connect Group because Bible Fellowship Group was too much to say all the time. Uh, and people weren't calling it that anyway. So we finally punted and said, okay, we got to call it something different. And so now, when people, when, when we, people talk about groups, I'll correct them. I'll say, it's connect group. It's connect group. Okay? Um, so it needs to come from your, from your introductory class, your group leaders, the pulpit, and lastly, whatever printed materials you use. If you give out a bulletin or you do a newsletter, it's important that you reinforce the same language throughout the culture of your church. That way people are hearing the same thing over and over and over. Assimilation is going to prove difficult if people are feeling like they're getting mixed messages across the board. Does that make sense? Okay, number three. Joining a connect group. <clears throat> You've got to make it easy for people to get involved in a group. And for some of you, you may be in a context where your, your groups don't want to add anybody else. Right? You may have some people like, hey, we've got our 10 people. We don't want anybody else. Don't come in here. We, they're not welcoming. Okay? If that's you, 
You've got to start, you've got to create some new groups. Churches should be birthing groups all the time. Because it allows, when new people come into the church, it gives them easy access to join a new group. It doesn't mean they can't join an existing group. But part of making it easier for somebody to join a group is creating new ones. This is what I did at Beach Road. When I got to Beach Road, we had four groups. One group was 30 deep. One group was 40 deep. They were competing on who could get the most, that they could get the most people in them. Um, and then we had two other groups. We had a men's group and a women's group. That's all we had. So over the course of the last four years, that's all I've been doing is building the group structure. Now we have 30 of them. Uh, and we just, one of them, we just had a group that, that uh, uh, split into a new group. One group got too big. It was 20 deep. So we created a new one out of it. Two couples went from it, and then we had somebody that just went through Discovering Beach Road, and we popped them into that group. So one of the avenues to make it easy for people to get in is to look to be creating new groups, which means, this is a side note, you should always be training new group leaders constantly. All the time you're creating new groups, because you're going to have attrition. Some groups are going to need to disband. They're just going to need to end. They've kind of done their season. Um, or some groups, um, uh, some groups have gotten too big. You need a new group leader. But you need to always be training. New, you have group leader move. Group leader get burnt out. You need to end. So constantly be training group leaders. Okay? Um, another thing that we do, we, because we have this capability, we put all of our groups online. So I can tell somebody, you want to get in a group, get online, and you can contact the group leader directly. So our website is set up where it connects them to the group leader directly. I've trained our group leaders. When you get, a, when you get an email from somebody that's interested in your group, you need to respond within 24 hours. Okay, again, that's making it easy for somebody to get involved. Yes? Current group leaders train have a have a rising assistant group leader. Okay. Yes. So here's here's what. Let me qualify that. Yes and no. Some of our group leaders are very good at training up a new leader. Okay. Some of them not as good. So, but what we tell our group leaders what we want you to do. Ideally, raise up a leader when you've identified one. Let them lead some and then encourage them to go through our group leader training. We have a 12-week training uh, that I've put together that we take our leadership through. Right? And as soon as we get finished uh, with that training, then we'll talk about birthing new groups. Is that, does that help? Sure. All right. And I'll come back to some tips that I'll give you at the end of things that we've implemented that have been helpful. Um, <clears throat> another thing that we've done to make it easy for people to get in a group is at the end of August, we did something called Connect Sunday. And we had all of our group leaders or a representative from their group. We made them all just a, a sign that said, co-ed, uh, co-ed group, Thursday at 6 o'clock in the evening. We had all of our group leaders go to the back of the church. Uh, actually, to a side room because we weren't in our main building. Um, and we encouraged people. If you're not in a group and you want to get involved in one, now is a good time to do it. So we had prepped our group leaders ahead of time. Hey, 
coming at the end of August, since it's kind of the start of a new semester, people are thinking school and all that. At the end of service, go to, uh, go to this room to the side, and there all the group leaders will be there for you. And then that way, and then what we also had made up, because we wanted to make it easy for people to get involved, <laughs> we made our group leaders business cards. And all it said on it was, my connect group meets on this day, at this time. My name is, and they could put in their name. That way, right out of the gate, they could leave there. They had something in their hand that said, this is when we meet, this is and add where on there. Where we meet, because uh, we have a lot of groups that meet off of our off of our campus. Right. So that's another. So these are the avenues. That's what I mean. These are the avenues. These are the strategies you're using to make it to make it easy for someone to get involved in a group. That's if you define this as something that you believe is important for assimilation. We have because it's important. We had to create constructs for it. Okay, number four. Fire away. We do. Okay, so good question. We call them all connect groups. So if they meet during the traditional Sunday school hour, we call them a connect group, even though it's a Sunday school class. The reason we do that, it really goes back to number two. We don't want competing environments. So when we, when we tell people, one of our expectations at the church is, you get involved in a group. We don't want them leaving Discovering Beach Road saying, okay, do I need to get involved in a connect group and a Sunday school class? So is the church asking me to do both? So what we did, when I got to the church, I said, we're going to call them all the same thing. Um, and so pick one or the other. If you get involved on one on Sunday morning, great, praise the Lord, you don't need to get involved in another one. If you want to, you're more than welcome to. But as long as you're involved in a connect group, that's what we want. Does that answer your question? Sure. Sweet. How did that work for you? How did what work for us? Changing the name just like that. So, <laughs> great question. Um, our church, remember, my context is unique. So we have a lot of people that are not... They haven't been raised Southern Baptist. They weren't part of a Southern Baptist church. And because we've been displaced, this church has gotten used to change. And so, honestly, I had, we had no pushback. I, I got zero that I heard. And I'm, and I'm, I'm being honest. I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you that. You may not be able to do that in your context, so you've got to be... But, yeah, and I want to say that. So everything I'm telling you, remember, I'm working in a specific place where we can do certain things. You may not be able to do all of this. And you may have to implement some of this stuff slowly. This is, I'm just telling you, this is, this is what we've done. Hey, fire away. I just go back to my chain thing about Sunday school. Sure. I didn't mean to be negative, but it can No, be it's done. okay. No, yeah. It can be done. Churches have been... Sunday school for 100 years since Arthur Flake started it many years ago. They can change the name of it to something else, and it is done, but it is a slow process, and it's managing change, and it's, and it's, 
in a church that's 100 years old is just sure. not like Beach Road or some church that comes up, a new church starts. That's Those right. Are the things we're jealous of uh, many times because you can just change them. If you've got a church that's 100 years old, it ain't going to happen. Well, and, and, and hear me say this. The name is not as important as to what happens in there. Or, or we can call it Sunday school. It's great, fine to call it Sunday school. The question is, are your leaders discipling them? If that's happening in that context, praise the Lord. That, that's great. Um, so... If you hear me, the only reason I'm putting it up here is because that's what we use. And what I, the only, what I would say is, whatever you're going to use, just be consistent with your language. Okay? And if you want to keep saying, the reason we couldn't do traditional Sunday school, we only have three rooms that we can use on a Sunday morning. I mean, we are space limited. So our, our facility forced us to do something other than a traditional Sunday school. We, we had to. We had no other option. Because uh, because uh, uh, we were growing at such a rate, so fire away. I'm not a hundred years old, but I'm in a hundred year old church. Sure. <laughs> Just a thought. When you was talking about, it, I thought what I thought y'all had done is created what you call connect groups and made Sunday school one of the connect groups. That's what we did. That's what we still call it. We have groups that meet on Sunday morning. No, we call them connect groups. Yeah, we call them connect groups. My context, your context, how I think I might approach it is you still call it Sunday school when it happens on Sunday morning, but it's under the umbrella of all connect groups. Sure. But not everybody. Yep. Or Sunday school, not everybody. A lot of people are not coming to Sunday school anyway, so you just take a few people who are still coming. Sunday school make disciples there. Sure. And, and that would be fine too. Sure. I mean, do at the end of the day, you've got to do what works for your contacts. You can't take exactly what we've done. This is why I'm giving you these heading of principles. Define what you mean by assimilation. You can use some of you can use all of this if you want, but define what you mean. You don't have to take it just back to your church. Um, create avenues that work for your people that they'll adopt or that you think they'll buy into. Um, so let's go to number four. Any other questions on that one? All right, number four. Serving in the ministry. We want, we tell our people, it is an expectation um, of our members that you serve within the body in a ministry somewhere. Okay? So if that's an expectation, what avenues are we creating for that to happen? All right, number one. We tell them, uh, we offer a spiritual gifts workshop. Where we have someone, and again, I don't, I don't lead this workshop. I've gotten somebody else at the church that I've brought beside me and said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lead this workshop continually. So he led one two weeks ago. Um, so he takes, he takes the people through, their, through this spiritual gift workshop. When they finish, we have created something where we have spiritual gifts counselors. And so these, when, when somebody finishes that workshop, we can match them up. If they're still not sure about where they want to serve, we can match them up with a spiritual gift counselor. If, if we have a male, we, we match them up with a male. If we have a female, we match them up with a female. That spiritual gifts counselor will sit down with them and they will say, okay, here are all the places to serve at Beach Road. 
These are the spiritual gifts that match them. And ideally, we want them to choose. Somewhere in their gifting area, they, they pick a ministry environment. From there, it is on the gifts counselors. It's, on, it's their responsibility to get them connected with the ministry leader that leads that ministry. So, somebody goes through spiritual gifts. They find out that they want to work on our parking team. It is on <clears throat> that, that, minute, that uh, gifts counselor. They have to contact our parking team. And they will say, hey, here's the name of somebody that just finished spiritual gifts workshop. It is then on the ministry leader's job. It is their job to train them. They have to assimilate them into that ministry environment. Does that make sense? That's the process we use. That may be too complicated for some. You may just need to do a workshop and, 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 and let that suffice at first. Uh, but that's something that we have... And this has taken, taken four years to develop. We didn't do this overnight. Okay? We went from nothing to this construct over the last... This is what I've been working on the last five years. Almost five years. Okay. Two more constructs that we put in, in the serving environment. So we have the spiritual gifts workshop. We have that process. It is also on our team leader's job to recruit. So they have to ask people to serve. That is another way that they're infiltrating the body of making sure it's kind of a side thing. It is also the job of our group leaders. Part of what we train them is... You need to be teaching on the importance of serving. So ask the people in your group, where are you serving? And then the last thing is I'm asking people all the time. As I talk to people, hey, what group are you in? Hey, where are you serving within the body? Okay, they're not? Okay, let's get this ball rolling. Okay? This go, that goes back to you have to have the conviction that this is important. That you're always talking about. If this is critical, if this is part of your disciple making, then we have to be talking about it, constantly asking people, okay, where are you serving? Have you become a, have you taken that step of membership? And I'll talk to a couple tips I have at the end for you. All right, number five. Talking about relationships. This is the hardest one to do. Because you can't measure it. There's absolutely say you can't. It's very challenging to measure uh, with a church our size. But I do want to hear how is, take Andrea for example. Andrea joined our church three years ago and Andrea now leads a group, uh, one of our connect groups on Thursday nights for women at her house. Uh, She has gotten involved in our hospitality team. Uh, But as I talk to the congregation, I hear Andrea's name all the time now. That lets me know she was assimilate. We she was assimilated well into our body. Um, okay, number three. In all of this, because these the first four are measurable, you want to assess how you're doing. How many guests, like Beach Road? We like this past year we had fifty nine family units fill out a guest card. Then we go back through and want to ask, and I don't have this number off the top of my head, is okay, how many of them became members? 
of those that became members, how many of them are involved in a connect group and serving? This helps you to assess, okay, are the constructs, the avenues we created, are they working? And then, the, it, then you can uh, tweak it to, to whatever you need to do to make it better. All right, let me give you some tips so we have a few minutes for questions. What time do we have to leave here? Okay. Um, Ryan, just keep going. Well, they sent us an email said, please respect their time and get them out on time. Like we got three emails about it. Okay. Let me give you uh, some quick tips that, that, that I've implemented that I've found helpful to reinforce this. Connection interview. When people go through Discovering Beach Road, I sit down with everybody, and this is because my position allowed for this. The church allowed us to create this type of position. I sit down with everybody that goes through Discovering Beach Road, and we do what we call a connection interview. Because I want to know, three things I want to know in that connection interview, primarily. Have you been born again? Have you been biblically baptized? And is God calling you to join this church? Have you been born again? Have you been baptized? And is God calling you here? The reason I ask those first two questions is because those are a prerequisite for membership. Someone has to be born again or they, they have to testify to their salvation and they have to be bib- what we define as biblical baptism by immersion after you became a believer. The reason I ask the third question, is God calling you here? Because that helps me reinforce these. If God is calling you to join up to this church family, then that means you are in agreement with our beliefs. So it takes care of the doctrinal issue that we've talked about in Discovering Betrothed. And then I ask, uh, it also means that, that, um, that you agree with our beliefs, but it also means that you affirm our expectations. That you are agreeing, if God's calling you to join this church, then you are in agreement with what we expect of our church members. That allows then leadership on the backside to ask these type of questions. Are you in a group? Are you serving? Well, no. Okay, remember, you join this church fellowship. This is part of our expectations. How can we help you? Right. So that's, that's, that's what I do with a connection interview. Okay? Have you, are you born again? Have you been biblically baptized? Is God calling you here? At the end of that interview, I talk about, have you had a chance to look at our connect groups online? Have you identified one that works for you yet? Okay? If they say yes, okay, which one? If they say no, I get out our little flyer, we pull up the website, and we look through all of them. Which one do you want to try? Okay? Again, making it easy for people to get involved. Um, and I will briefly, I used to try to get them plugged into serving. So when I first got to the church, I said, okay, we've got to get you serving somewhere. Now, because we've created another avenue with the gifts workshop, I just say, I want to reinforce the gifts workshop. I got a little flyer that I had one of our secretaries put together, and I give it to him. I say the date of the next classes, and I write it on there. Because right? I have a lady at my church, 
All she does is she puts together for me my connection interview packets. In there are Bible reading plans. It's the spiritual gifts card. Um, I've got a whole list of stuff that I give out to people at that connection interview. Because at that stage, they're more than likely going to join the church fellowship. Um, Just for perspective, how many members on a Sunday morning? <laughs> so we run... Um, before the hurricane, we were about 450, 475. Since then, we're down about 100, 120. Yeah. So if your church is smaller environment, and I, and I get all of that, the church I came from in Texas was a lot smaller than Beach Road. I implemented some of this stuff, but I couldn't do it at near the level. So don't leave here saying, we can't do all of it, so we might as well do nothing. No, do something. Do one, add one thing that will help in your assimilation process. Okay? And it may be as simple as this. You need to go home and you need to define what you mean by it first. And say, you know what? In four years, I want to have constructs around two or three or four of them. Whatever you decide. Okay? Yeah. Once someone becomes a member, what is the time frame you look at for them serving in the ministry? Ideally, next week. Realistically, it usually takes it takes some time. Because right. I mean, if someone yeah. comes to your church that was active in a previous church, they might be more apt to yeah. jump in quicker. Mm-hmm. Than... Now, let me say this about serving. So, when I get somebody serving, I'm not going to make them a group leader next week. When I talk about getting them involved in a serving environment, I'm talking about something that we can get them involved in very quickly. That doesn't take a ton of first impressions. Parking, somewhere in that, or sound, right? Somewhere that they can they can get involved pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I assume that you guys have a church covenant as part of your membership. We do. The we do. We spell all that out. In the, bit, yeah. We spell all of that out in our um, in our new members class. We talk about these are the these are the expectations we have of a church member. Mm-hmm. We don't have them sign it, but I ask them, when I ask the question, is God calling you here? And they verbally affirm that. In a sense, that's kind of a written affirmation. Church discipline on the backside? Uh, I would say that's a weak area. That, 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 that's an area. That's an area we've got to grow in. Yep. That's a great question. And I'll just be honest, that's one area that I have not been able to get my arms around. Yep. All right. Um, a few other tips. The follow-up email. After they've sat down in a connection interview with me, within 48 hours, I try to send them an email. And I recap what we've talked about, especially when it relates to, okay, you told me God's calling you here, so I'll send out an email and say, hey, one of the things we talked about, uh, we are excited that you feel like there was God's calling you here. Your next step is to go forward on a Sunday morning. At that point, you, you, you have, you've done everything you need to do for membership. Okay? If they've talked about a group, I will say, you've identified a group. Do you want me to contact the group leader on your behalf? And sometimes they will. And so I will send an email to the group leader and say, this person just finished Discovering Beach Road. Would you reach out to them sometime in the next week? Okay. Um, 
So that's a follow-up email. When they actually join the church, right? They've come forward. They've gone through Discovering Betrothed. They've uh, gone through their connection interview. They go forward and join the church. I write them another letter that talks about, actually one that I've typed out. And I talk about, okay, we talked about Connect Group. This is the one we want you, this is the one we talked about. So you see, I put, I constantly try to reinforce these ideas. Let me give you one more tip and then I'll, we'll take some questions. If you're the pastor in here, you probably know more people's stories than, than a lay member might. When a church member tells you some things that are important to them or experiences they've been through, keep that log somewhere. Here's why. Is it allows you... So I had someone that I met um, about a month ago. And he said, James, I've, I'm, I'm coming off a drug addiction. I'm weaning down. I was able to get him this past Sunday. I said, I said this because I'll make it up to protect his identity. But uh, John, I said, John, um, he actually just prayed to receive Christ in my office last week. So praise the Lord on that. And I said, so John, you're a, you're a new believer now. I said, you need people in your life. So I want to connect you with somebody in our church that has also struggled through drug addiction and that has been open about it. Would you be willing to meet up? He said, sure. So immediately I sent out a text to um, Adam. Give him a new name. I said, Adam, I want, I've got to introduce you to somebody that you need to be connected with. Um, I said, I want you guys to, um, uh, I want you to meet me after, directly after the service because I want to get you connected. And so Adam comes up to me. I'm sent out shaking people's hands. Adam comes up to me and said, where's John? I said, he's not come out yet. As soon as uh, John walked out the door, boom, I got them connected. I said, you all need to get to know each other. And then I walked away and let them, let them have it. Why? Because this has to happen. They need relate, people need relationships. And so as a pastor, because you know stories and hobbies, you're able to connect people that have the like, like-minded stuff. Okay? Okay, questions. So, because you're a church covenant and your expectations are high of the members, what percentage can you quantify are in connect groups and are serving? So, in our connect groups, we have about 74% of our people that are in connect groups. Um. And serving in a ministry, we are just over, we're just over 60. So we, we have, a, I would say we've got a pretty good, I would say we're doing, we're doing decent. It's not 100, that's what we want. Yep. But that really gets back to the discipline question that he asked. Yeah. It's, it's coming back around and saying, okay. These aren't happening. How can we how can we talk about those things? Yeah. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. How are your connect groups broke up? Are they by age, sex, topic? How do you all the above? Okay. All the above. Yeah. It, it just depends. We've got uh, we've got men's only groups. We have women's only groups. We have co-ed, senior. Yeah. 
How do you split up like when you the classes like you said when they got too big? How did you first split up those massive ones you came into? Uh, one of them still going. Just let it be. I just <laughs> let it be and did and did some stuff to the side. Yeah, it's not worth it. Uh, it's church unity is too important in the New Testament to create division over um, over something like that. So I said, yeah. Are some of the connect groups fairly fluid in terms of people being able to move in and out of them? at will or, or once you get there are you sort of locked in or I mean do you find a desire for some people just to say, oh, I'm tired of this topic I'm going to move on and try something else I, I try to encourage people you need to stay within it for about tw- at least 12 to 18 months you need because we want you to build community and you're not going to build community in in a week no, or no. three weeks uh, so yeah we want people to stay in it yeah it. yeah another thing we do with um Relationships is we do short-term groups, and that allows us to do some cross-pollination of people within the body, yeah. so they can expand their relational network. So one of ours um, would be assimilation of the church because we believe in regenerate church membership. Mm-hmm. So we believe that all believers should be sharing their faith. So that's going to be one of the expectations that we have uh, moving forward. So then, how do you how do you connect that to? So we've got small groups that meet in homes, deal with hospitality, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So we're trying to do a, a full orb situation there. But how do you connect those groups and the relationships that are formed there into making relationships with the people around them and the evangelism? Like outside the group. Outside the church. We, we, we tell our people, you need to be inviting the unchurched to attend. That's one of our expectations. Uh, you need to be sharing your faith. And so one of the avenues we'll tell our group... We want you to be inviting uh, uh, lost people to your group. Like you need to be reaching outside of your group to invite them in. That's what we want. Do you take into consideration where the groups are at? So, for instance, geographically, like as far as like where the groups are at geographically, yeah, we do that too. But <clears throat> meeting in someone's home, getting someone to show up at someone's house is usually easier, especially if they're have bad church experience in sure. the past than to show up at the church building to where you have a certain percentage of your groups that meet outside the church for that exact purpose to be able to invite people that may not want to show up in the building. Sure. So I want our, my one of my goals was I wanted so many groups offered at different places and times that people didn't have a, an excuse, if you will, not to be in one. Because I was then able to get to the heart of why somebody doesn't want to be in one, and so we've got them, we've got them all, we've got them within. Um, how far would that be from the church? Fifteen mile radius, seventeen mile radius, and we were a small community. So yeah, we've got them all down uh, the main road that leads every subdivision. I can start ticking off, and we've we've got one in almost every one of them. Yeah. How will that change when you move in the new facility? That was the case before we were even out of our facility. We had, I can't remember how many groups we had. I, I can't tell, right now I can't tell how many groups we have meeting on and off campus off the top of my head. My role has shifted a little bit at the church, so I've handed 
the group stuff to somebody else I've been discipling over the last three years. So he would have those numbers more. I want to say it's about 50-50. That we have 15 that meet on and 15 that meet off. But the ones that meet on don't necessarily meet on Sunday morning. My men's group meets on campus at 7 a.m. on Thursdays. And the only reason we do that is because it's geographically central to the people that are in it. Did you count all of those numbers as your That's right. That is right. Children's operate somewhere with connect groups, or are they strictly a Sunday morning or Wednesday night at the facility? Those are strictly right now. Well, children's not even Sunday morning because we don't have any place to meet. But they each have their own set of groups as well. So you don't make a distinction between, say, a small group and an affinity group. So let me. So like you just said, men's group. So if someone's in a men's group, are they also? Are you looking to get them in the, with a co-ed that, at the same time? You do that with the intergenerational ministry. And- I would say, we say that is their connect group. So my men's group, we have people in there. Um, we, have, uh, we have five of us in that one. And we're spread out. I mean, I've got a guy that's almost 60, a guy that's in his 40s. I'm in my 30s, another guy in his 30s. I like cross-generational groups. So that's one thing I try to encourage some of our group leaders to do. Build your group cross. Now, some of them we have age specific. My Thursday night group, everybody in there is in their 20s except me. Yeah. Does that, does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. So we do, our, we do ours based on where you're at. As far as Geographically. You Geographical. And, and we do that mainly because we're, we're a small reform church. So just about everything we do is intergenerational anyway. So, I mean, it's more integrated type church, children's church, no Sunday school, that type of thing. So, in those processes, like those relationships from, you know, young parents with young kids, and you've got older people whose kids are gone, and and all of that kind of cross-pollination from there. But then we also have what I would say an affinity group where men's and women's, where you talk about, you know, specific things pertaining to that. But both sides. So I didn't know if that was, sure. was a difference or if, hey, men's group is great. We want to get you involved with a couple's group so you and your wife are being discipled together. So I didn't know if there was. You know, there's not. We just tell people be, we just tell people we want you in a connect group. Now, um, it would be great if we got to that point, but if we do that, we need to then go back and revise our bylaws. So we would need to say, hey, we expect you to be in both. Because we got to be consistent. Does that that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you, guys.